The Ark in the Darkness, Unearthing the Mysteries of Noah's Flood, comes to a theater near you on March 20th and 21st. What happened to the dinosaurs? Why did God send the flood? This film unveils compelling evidence in support of the Bible from a team of scientists from Answers in Genesis and Liberty University. The Ark in the Darkness reveals the truth about Noah's flood. This incredible film hits theaters on March 20th and 21st. Buy your tickets now at noahsflood.com. That's noahsflood.com. Access more. During today's conversation on Back Porch Theology, we're going to delve into a very colorful Old Testament story that illustrates the symbiotic relationship between blessing and boundaries. History proves over and over again that without the life-giving promises and the parameters of Scripture, we lose our bearings, ultimately our identity and our dignity. Now, speaking of boundaries, because the historical context of the biblical narrative we're going to peruse in this episode is spicy, it reads more like HBO than the Hallmark Channel, I want to encourage y'all to make sure there aren't any little ears listening along with you. Please make sure your kids, grandkids, neighbors' kids, or preteen passers-by are out of earshot. Then, grab a cup of coffee in your Bible, unless you're driving or arranging a charcuterie board, of course, and come hang out on the porch with Allie and me. Hey, hey, back porchers. It's Allison Allen here. I'm the five foot twelve wing woman to Lisa Harper's brilliance and hilarity. And we're so thrilled that you're joining us mm-hmm. on a Monday or any other day of the week. We hope today you will pull up. So, can we say get a hot drink yet? Are we into that season? Are we still we're need close. We're close. Uh, we still need it's iced coffee. It's almost fall. It's almost I'm fall. I'm still drinking iced coffee because oh, I sweat like a it's, sumo wrestler. In oh, a and sauna. it's Tennessee. That's we're, Tennessee. It's a walking. Muggy sauna here. Um, Uh Well, we are so glad that you're with us. Hot drink, cold drink. We're just glad you're rocking with us on the porch today. We don't always share the titles of our episodes and our podcast, but today's really piqued my interest, and I love it. We're going to talk about the beautiful fruit within biblical boundaries. Man, that's a holy (laughs) mouthful, Lisa Harper. I know even when I wrote this, Sally, and y'all can always find titles in the show notes, but when I wrote this title, you know, it was late at night and I thought, ugh, because boundaries, even that word for me, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I read Henry Cloud's classic book on boundaries, golly, probably 25 years ago and have reread it, oh, at least 10 times since. And and I, I so want to love boundaries, <laughs> but it's kind of like keto for me. I know it's good for me, yes. but... Goodness gracious, sometimes they're hard to abide by. Absolutely, they are. Um, You were sharing with me as we were prepping for this a hysterical, or is it an hysterical? Do you know? Uh Uh-uh. Okay, A-N. I'm going to go with a hysterical story (laughs) about, I don't even want to give it away, about the power of understanding boundaries in your own life. Would you share that with us? Come on, kick us off. Yeah, this is one of those dirty laundry stories, y'all. I mean, it's not dirty, but it is goodness, a, a prodigal chapter from my past. I was I was a, a kid. I was probably 12 years old, maybe when this happened, maybe 13. But my parents divorced when I was little. And my dad, Everett Harper, moved out into the country of Central Florida, tiny little town called Casha near Eustis, Florida, mostly just cow pastures and orange groves. Okay. 
but I was with my dad most weekends. He had visitation rights on weekends. And so most of the time I was with my dad on weekends and we went to this itty bitty Baptist church. I mean, I think probably the sanctuary sat maybe 150, I you can know, see it. Yeah, yeah, wooden pews, yeah. center aisle. and Creaky I, when you oh, shift. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I loved our pastor. He had been a pilot in World War II, mm-hmm. and he just, the stories he would tell, just big, loud, booming voice, and he loved Jesus. So I, I loved being in church. But I also was developing a almost love, or puppy love, we'll say, for a young man little older than me, who, who, you know, when you're out in the country, like if somebody lives three miles away, that's like your neighbor. That's that's next door neighbor. Well, I had developed a a very strong crush on a young man named Jimmy, Mm -hmm. whose daddy ran the chicken farm down the road from our little farm. And so Jimmy had, there was a little bit of, he responded positively to my crush. He was quite a bit older than me. I want to say four years older than me. But out in the country, you know, the pickings are pretty slim. Yeah. So you don't. The, the, Beggars the, cannot be that's choosers. That's right. That's yeah. right. And uh, so anyway, one Sunday, I can remember it really clearly, even though it was so many years ago, I was in the service and Jimmy had sat next to me on one of those old wooden pews and he'd reached over and was holding my hand. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, that was just Butterflies. So, oh, my heavens. Because um, I'm holding hands with mm-hmm. Jimmy, and he's so cute. He's got calluses on his hands <laughs> from, like, working the farm. He's like a real man. And I, that was kind of all I remember. I definitely do not remember the sermon. I just remember Jimmy holding my hand. Mm-hmm. And then I remember what happened after service, because when we were walking out of the church, my dad had been sitting several pews behind us, My dad is waiting for me. As soon as we walk down the steps Uh of the church, dad is standing there in what we would call the churchyard. And he has, my dad was like a miniature John Wayne. I mean, my daddy didn't play. And he had this look that I realized he is displeased. I do Mm. not know why. He, with one hand, pulls me toward him and with the other pushes Jimmy away. Goodness. And then my dad says to me, this is as close to verbatim as I can remember, if I ever catch you swapping slobber in church again, I'll be on you faster than gravy on rice. Now, first of all, Allison, I, I had not swapped slobber with say, anybody. That's a little oh, hyperbolic. Yeah. All yeah. I'd done is yeah. held hands with, yes. with Jimmy, yes. uh, the chicken farmer's son, who was real sweet, if I remember correctly, <laughs> had kind of curly hair. And, and, and so I was yes. so flustered, but my dad was Serious as a heart attack. Serious, because in his mind, Mm. church, I mean, church is about God. That is no place for kids Mm. to be holding hands. Well, evidently, the enormity of his outrage bypassed me because either the next week or the following week, soon after that, Jimmy slides over and sits by me again on Sunday morning and reaches over to hold my hand again. But this time... I don't remember if we were still singing hymns or if pastor had already started the service. I feel this hand, this strong hand on my shoulder Stop. in church. We're either singing or I'm listening to the sermon. And it is my dad who has gotten up out of his pew, walked down the aisle, grabs me by the shoulder. And I turn around because I thought, "What? What? who is? It is my father. Oh, no. And he is motioning for me with his index finger curling like, young lady, Get your behind up out of that pew. In the middle of church. In the middle of church. I'm I'm mortified. Everybody's looking at us like, what is going on? And I turn around because, I mean, again, my dad didn't play. 
My dad ushers me out of church in the middle of church, takes me outside in the churchyard, and basically I get the the lecture of my life Mm. because I'd held hands with Jimmy in church, and I got so tickled thinking about that as we're talking about this passions Mm -hmm. in Scripture— that highlights how our Heavenly Father is serious about boundaries. And really much like my father, I didn't understand it at 12, uh, why he didn't want me being with a young man who was four or five years older than me. I didn't get that yet. Now that Missy's the same age I was You do a little bit more, don't you? I'm not going to let Missy hold hands with a 17-year-old, whether it's in church or anywhere else, because that just, that that bodes trouble, absolutely, to be with a a young man that much older than her at that very innocent age. So I know now, of course, that my dad was looking out for me, but my dad was an enforcer of boundaries. Um, Henry Cloud, whose book I just mentioned, he says, people with boundary problems usually have distorted attitudes about responsibility. They feel that to hold people responsible for their Mm. feelings, choices, and behaviors is mean. However, Mm. Proverbs repeatedly says that setting limits and accepting responsibility will save lives. The psalmist says... Our boundaries fall in pleasant places, our boundary lines. So God is not being mean. No. Same way my dad was stern, but he wasn't right. mean. Our Heavenly Father is not mean right. when he enforces boundaries. He enforces boundaries for our good. And Scripture is replete with narrative about God establishing boundaries mm-hmm. for his people to bless us. There is a symbiotic relationship between biblical boundaries and our blessing. Say that one more time, Lisa. There's a symbiotic relationship between biblical boundaries, the boundaries God sets, and our blessing Mm. as his children. Yeah. A good dad sets good boundaries for our good. Amen. And we, we see it all through the pages of Scripture. Right. And I wonder if we could just take a moment to peruse this really colorful Old Testament story about what happens when we lose sight of those good, godly boundaries in yeah. our lives that God actually establishes to keep us right. safe. Um, I'm going to read Second Kings for us, 22, 1 through 3, 8 through 13, and then I'm going to let you run. And I can't Perfect. wait for what you bring. If you're following along back portraits in your Bible, Bibles. It's about an inch from the front. Second mm-hmm. Kings, and, and we're going to start with chapter 22. Right. Here we go. This is verse 1, and it says this, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was, we're going to say J, the daughter of, <laughs> we're going to say A, and she was from Bozkath. Okay, quite a mouthful there. This is verse 2. He did what was right in the Lord's sight and walked in all the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn to the left or to the right. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent the court secretary Shaphan, son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, to the Lord's temple. All right, and then we're going to skip down to verse 8 through verse 13. The high priest Hilkiah told the court secretary Shaphan, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And he gave the book to Shaphan, who read it. Then the court secretary, Shaphan, went to the king and reported, Your servants have emptied out the silver that was found in the temple and have given it to those doing the work, those who oversee the Lord's temple. Then the court secretary, Shaphan, told the king, The priest Hilkiah has given me a book. 
and Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Then he commanded the priests Hilkiah, Hilkiah son of Shaphan, Achbor son of Micaiah, the court secretary Shaphan, and the king's servant Asiah with this, go and inquire of the Lord for me, the people and all of Judah about the words in this book that have been found. For great is the Lord's wrath that is kindled against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this book in order to do everything written about us. What a story. Oh, it's amazing. And just so y'all don't get tripped up over the hard words, sometimes Hebrew Mm -hmm. names are hard to pronounce. Basically, what Allison just read, there's two main points of takeaway. Mm -hmm. One is Josiah the king, he was a good king, but he became king Mm -hmm. when he was eight years old. Mm. That means if he was living today, if the story took place today, he'd be in the second grade. So that right there is kind of an asterisk. You've Mm -hmm. got this boy king. The second takeaway from those passages she just read is they lost the Bible. Whoa. <laughs> God's people had literally mm-hmm. lost the words that God had given them for life, the the words he had given them to have relationship with him. They had they had quite literally lost the Bible. The last research I read said that most homes in America, I think the average amount of Bibles we have in our home is eight. Is that right? Yeah, the average amount of Bibles in, in it. And I, I can't remember what, so I don't want to cite that. So don't, don't take that for truth. But I read that somewhere. Most of us have quite a few Bibles mm. laying around. Mm. Even people who don't subscribe to the Christian faith mm-hmm. still have Bibles. Maybe mm. they got one at high school graduation or when they were confirmed or by a relative. I cannot imagine losing the Bible, but they had. And before we explore the huge consequences that happened when our great, 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 great grandparents of faith, the Israelites, lost the Bible, effectively tearing down the fences God had built to bless and protect them, I'd love to take just a minute for you to give a shout out to Hulda. Because you just read about Hulda, and I know she's one of your favorite women in redemptive history. Absolutely. Well, this is a bit of a refresher because we talked about her, I want to say within the first six or seven Mm -hmm. episodes, but she's a woman who is in the pages of this story, and she doesn't get star billing, but man, she, she plays a really outsized role. She's a prophetess named Hulda. Second Kings and Second Chronicles both talk about her. Uh, the scripture tells us that she's a needleworker, likely in Josiah's court. Kind of reminds me of Dorcas in the New right, Testament, right. right? She cares for the wardrobe. She's married. And according to scripture, most importantly, she's a prophetess like Deborah or Miriam and right, Anna and others right. in the New Testament. Okay. But I want to tell you a bit of her backstory because the involvement in the story of Israel's greatest reformation, and or one of them, But let me tell you a little bit of her backstory because her involvement in the story of Israel's greatest reformation and revival is pretty remarkable. As we've just read, King Josiah tells some folks to go give the temple a little TLC. Right. They find under the rubble the scroll of words of the law of God. When the words are read to Josiah, he's cut to the core. And scholars point out that it's obvious that the words are fresh. In other words, they have indeed lost the Bible because Josiah's reaction is so big and right, emotional. Right. He then asks his leaders, his scribe and the priest, to go inquire about the nature of the words themselves. So they go to Hulda, and with very little fanfare, she basically says, look— 
the judgment is still coming. The Babylonian captivity right. is happening right. soonish. And that because Josiah had responded passionately, emotionally right. to Adonai's words, he would have peace. We then, the words go back to Josiah. He acts on them and a river of revival breaks out. I love this that, that a mm-hmm. lot of conservative scholars say is that Huldah is considered to be the first person in the scripture to declare a text the Holy Scripture. Don't yeah, I you love that. just love that? I love that. She I is that. she is one of the unsung heroes. heroes. Yes. And and I love that he knows there was something about yeah. her life. Yes. That Josiah, this boy king, yes. knew take it to Hulda. Yeah. She'll know. She'll know right. if, it's, if it's the law of the Lord. Now we're gonna read a few more passages in chapter 23, and okay. then then we'll drill down into how boundaries and blessings are related. So this is 2 Kings 23, uh, 1 through 2. It says, after they take it to Hulda, Hulda oh. verifies that it is the word of the Lord. It says, then the king sent, this is chapter 23, verse 1, then the king sent and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord and with him, all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. Mm. So this is, this is citywide mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. going on. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. In other words, what we would now call the first part of the Bible or Torah, the Hebrew scriptures, that had been found in the house of the Lord. Verse 13, this is part of the response of King Josiah and God's people when they found the Bible. And the king, verse 13, defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtorah, the abomination of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And he broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the ashram and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, verse 15, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. If you're reading along in your Bible, you might want to underscore that because there's lots Mm. of study to be done on why Jeroboam incited Israel to sin. That altar with a high place, he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. Verse 19, and Josiah removed all the shrines also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. Verse 24, moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book Mm. that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. That's high praise in light of King David. Exactly, a man after Coming God's after own Josiah. Heart, right? So God's word is praising yes. this young king mostly for his response to the word of God. 
to the boundaries that God had given them. Now, before we exegete this Old Testament pericope, which is just a fancy word I learned in seminary that means passage. um, (laughs) Is that the one that you call the (laughs) pericope? Yes, yes. I love that story. Which I mispronounced in my my first doctoral class. I love it. I want to reiterate what we said in the intro to this episode. While this is scripture, these particular chapters of biblical history play out more like pay-per-view than the Hallmark Channel. So please, y'all make sure there aren't any little ears listening to the rest of this conversation because it's going to get a little spicy. Yeah, which brings me to the question you just implied. Why do these passages particularly have a bit of a PG rating or PG-13 rating, I would say, even? Yeah, yeah, because— in Israel's history, you know, there was a, a little bit of one of your favorite words, syncretism, syncretism. Yeah. at this point in Israel's history. So Israel was holding to some of what their forefathers had taught them. They had stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, people tell you that's the oral tradition. Right. They'd lost the Bible, but they remembered what their mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandmothers had done before them. So they had some of the tradition okay. based on Torah, the right. God's, the Jewish scriptures, But then they were mixing in some of the other traditions of the people living around them, specifically the Egyptians. And in Egyptian culture, remember, this is a very agrarian culture. So they are completely dependent on whether their crops grow Mm -hmm. and they have something to eat. And so rain was a huge Mm -hmm. deal. This is the Middle East. It tends to be a pretty dry place. So the Egyptians and other people outside of the Israelites had all kinds of pomp and circumstance as to what they would do to appease who they believe Mm -hmm. the gods were, little G gods. Mm -hmm. They would go through all these, just all kinds of things to try to implore their gods, little G gods, members of the pantheon, to reign. And the Egyptians thought that rain was, I want to be real careful in how I say this, just in case there's still kids listening. The Egyptians believed that the pantheon, those false gods, but they believed them to be gods, they believed that when the male gods were intimate, intimate with a female god, that what happened— What emanates? What emanates from the male's body parts— that was rain. Mm-hmm. So in order to manipulate, if you will, the gods into making it rain, a.k.a. Oh. having intimate yep. relations with one another, they would go up to the highest points wherever they live. So it might be a really steep hill or mm. it might be a mountain. They would go mm. up to the very high place, assuming that the gods could see them mm-hmm. better if they were closer to the gods, wow. a.k.a. the high places. And they would have huge parties where they, the people, also had intimate relationships with each other. So I don't want to say the word because if there are little kids listening, but it starts with an O and ends with G. They would have those on the high places Mm -hmm. in an effort to manipulate the gods of the pantheon Mm. to have illicit relations so that the overflow of that would be rain. We've got full-on bacchanals going on all over the high places. Horrid depravity. Well, the Israelites have begun to do the same thing. Mm. God's people, in the absence of his word, have begun to hike up steep hills, Mm. have illicit intimacy with each other in an effort to manipulate God into having 
intimate relations yes, so that the overflow of that would be rain. Mm. And when you hear that, you're like, oh my goodness, how could they have drifted so far Mm -hmm. from the purity and the promises that God has given them? But it just shows you that when we lose Mm -hmm. the, the boundaries that God has given us, We not only lose our identity, we lose our dignity. Can you imagine some of those women after they've probably been dragged, pushed, and pulled up Up those hills by men they were not married to, Mm. and they compromised their bodies? Mm -hmm. I can only imagine the morning after, Mm -hmm. the The grief, the shame, the humiliation. I mean— the things that they did, again, in this horrifically misguided effort right. to manipulate right. God. And that's one of the reasons I'm sure that Josiah tears his clothes and yeah. grieves. He's like, oh, my goodness, we have degraded ourselves, ourselves. Yeah. to get God's attention. That is not remotely what God calls us to do. Right. We're supposed to love one another well, right. respect each other, and walk and act in a way that God's children would walk and act. He loves us. Mm-hmm. He's for us. He will make it rain on the earth because He is a provider. He is just Jehovah Jireh. Mm-hmm. He will take care of us. We don't have to climb steep hills and engage in exploitive, sexually deviant behavior to manipulate That's Yahweh right. into making it rain. He has been and will always be actively working for the good of his people. What Josiah was saying is, we are his sons and his daughters. We are not pawns. I think it's so important to contextualize idolatry. Because while I've never come upon an Asherah pole while hiking in our Tennessee hills, I haven't gotten to a high place and seen the proof of something like this colorful Old Testament idolatry, I have come across a lot of things that could adequately be described as an idol, Mm -hmm. because an idol is anything that demands the allegiance of our hearts. And the allegiance of our hearts is first meant for God. That's what a boundary is all about. That's right. A boundary is not punitive. A boundary is blessing. It is connecting us to the God who's for us. I love that. You know, I— I remember a couple of years ago when the Lord began to deal with some hidden idolatry in my own heart, which was a little bit surprising because obviously, like our you know forefathers, I didn't have an idol made of gold or silver. I right. wasn't traipsing up a mountain. It, it wasn't so outward, if you will. Right. But the idols that I was cherishing and curating where no one could see really came in the form of, and I think this is maybe true for a lot of us, other people. Right. Other people's opinions, right. other people's thoughts, other people's reaction. And so one of the ways that the Lord began to deal with me on this or help me identify idolatry, hidden idolatry in my own heart was to say, Allison, what consumes your thoughts? Right. What consumes Absolutely. your action? And then for me, what comes most frequently out of your mouth? Mm-hmm. In other words, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Absolutely. And for me— in this particular area, Jesus wasn't bringing home the gold. Jesus was bringing home the bronze. And my concern with other people's thoughts about me were evidenced in the fact that they were the things I most spoke of. And so the Lord said, you've got some idolatry in that heart that we need to deal with. And and it it was a place where I, I had been bound for a long time and had never 
even recognized it. So mm-hmm. this story resonates with me, uh, not necessarily in the mechanic, right. but in the fruitfulness right. that comes when we get honest and say, right. Lord, I've, I've got some things in my life that are right. far more preeminent than you. Are right. and I want I, I want to walk that path with you. Right, yeah. the story is so colorful. Yeah, because it is. you really can't imagine us subjecting ourselves to that level of degradation. Depravity, yeah, and yet same effects. Same effect. Yeah. I mean, absolutely same effects. Because again, history proves over and over mm-hmm. and over and over again that without biblical boundaries, which right. are for our good, good mm-hmm. we've talked in the past about. God's law being like those bumpers Bumper of the bowling yeah, alley yeah, yeah. that are to keep our balls out of the gutter. It's for our good. It's for our protection. It's for our provision. Without those boundaries, we will lose our identity and our dignity. Yes. I have done things that that mm-hmm. still would make my face get red yeah. if I delved into those stories in the past mm-hmm. because I wasn't following God's ways. I wasn't respecting mm-hmm. myself, and so I didn't demand other people that mm-hmm. they would respect me. You know, Ali, I know the word deconstruction is often viewed with trepidation by mm-hmm. Christians today because it's often associated with someone who was raised in a Christian family or a biblically faithful church environment who who ends up throwing out the proverbial baby of the gospel with a bathwater of bad practices masquerading right. as theology or abusive people masquerading as spiritual leaders. However, I think there's a place for redemptive deconstruction, Mm. for being intellectually honest enough to study the supernatural love story we call the Bible in the accurate historical, cultural, and linguistic context. Because when we do so, we find that Scripture contextualizes us, humanity, as the object of God's affection. Mm. We're the object of His affection. This is Mm. not a rule book. That's right. The boundaries in Scripture are actually the genesis, the provision for human dignity and liberty. The ultimate end of idolatry is bondage. Mm. Can you imagine the bondage those precious Israelites felt Mm. when they traipsed down from the high places? That's right. And they had done Horrible things to each other, unspeakable Mm -hmm. things, and allowed other people to do unspeakable things to them, not out of love, out of lust and fear and manipulation. And then it still didn't rain. Mm. I mean, just the the utter depression and Mm -hmm. degradation. And God says, no, 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 no. I don't want you doing that on the high places. Mm-hmm. I want you putting me back on the, the throne high of place your of your heart, heart. Yeah. the high place of your heart, and yeah. to remember, I love you. I yeah. send the winter rains and the spring rains and the yes. summer rains because I love you. I will take yes. care of you. Yes. I always have been and always will be for your good. Mm-hmm. I will always be for you. And I think for us to be honest enough to go, okay, I want to deconstruct the idols in my life. That's right. Hey, 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 Back Porchers, here at BPT for 2024. We're calling it the year of giving yourself away. And I want you to know about a woman who did just that. She changed the world by giving herself away. Her name is Francesca Cabrini. She was an Italian-born Roman Catholic missionary who used her super strong will and God's calling in her life to defy odds and build an empire of hope, hope that led her to eventually establishing schools and orphanages and hospitals not only throughout the United States, but throughout the world, all of which was to support immigrants and marginalized communities, the the least of these. 
I watched her movie, and y'all, it was such an inspiration to how we can all better give ourselves away. The film is called Cabrini, and it's now playing in theaters. Man, I'd strongly encourage you to go see this movie and bring a box of tissues. You can log on to angel.com forward slash Cabrini for info about when and where it's playing in your area. And of course, that link, angel.com forward slash Cabrini, that's also in today's show notes. You know, I grew up in an extremely conservative church culture, Mm -hmm. and I never heard this preached verbatim. Okay. But what I heard tacitly endorsed is if you follow the rules— you will get what you pray for. That's right. It was a very transactional yes. relationship. Performative. Very yep. performative. Mm-hmm. I got a little older and thought, wait a minute, I'm doing the right things. Mm-hmm. I'm not smoking. I'm not chewing. I'm not going with boys that do. Huh. Mm-hmm. I still have these things I'm struggling with. Right. Does God see me? Is God for me? Because I understood stood God to be kind of a, a divine Bookkeeper. Uh, yes. Yeah. He was he was yeah. adding up the score of my yeah. good things and the score of my bad behavior. And if the good outweighed the bad, then, you then got the blessing. I got the blessing. Yeah. That is not who our God is. It's not the gospel. We don't earn his affection through good behavior, mm-hmm. nor can we manipulate his will through all kinds of ludicrous things. He's our father and he's for us. Mm-hmm. And the boundary lines he gives us fall in pleasant places because his whole will Mm. is for us to know him, to be in relationship with him, for us to have a holy, blessed life, Mm -hmm. for us to love each other in a way that points back to him as our redeemer. Everything he does, everything he gives us, Everything he removes from us. Say that again. Uh, he removes he from us. Yeah. If he removes us, it's then not for our good. It's not for our good. Yeah. He has taken things away from me that were idols to me. And man, it hurt when he pulled it away. Same. And it wasn't until years later that I went, oh, he did that to save me. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Because they I were thought, outside the boundary line. Absolutely. Lines. There have been some relationships that God has gently peeled my fingers off of that it wasn't until a year or two or three later that I realized that was taking me in the opposite direction of God. That relationship had become such an idol that actually it was killing me, but I was too close to see it. Isn't it a form of modern syncretism? Like we have all this good gospel stuff in our crock pot. Yes. But we pour a little poison in and hope right. at the end of the day, right. the good will we'll kind of out. cover it. It'll balance out. And the right. Lord says, no, I want to withdraw. I want to siphon right. out the poison because it's outside the good boundary right. lines. Lisa, I love it when you teach and say that biblical boundaries are protective. Right. They're never punitive. Biblical boundaries enhance our confidence rather than denigrate it. In other words, if I'm a kid and mama says, all the way out to that fence line. You can play everywhere within this fence line. That actually enhances confidence, dignity, security, and strength. And I just have come to, in my own life, it's pretty simple, but I've come to realize the yeses don't mean as much without a few godly no's. That's right. It's like rest in the music. If all you have are notes— and you don't have those moments of rest. Right. It's not music. It's right. just a bunch of 
of un- it's understanding. It's a cacophony, right? right. It's not a symphony. Right. And so I, it has to be simple for me because as a kid in the 80s, we didn't speak much about boundaries. Mm-hmm. I lived a life without a ton right. of boundaries, and it left me confused insecure. And then when I came into the kingdom and over some successive years, when he began to minister exactly what you've just so beautifully shared to my own life, I thought, oh, they really have fallen in beautiful, bountiful places. places. In pleasant places. And there's years and years ago, Allie, I was, it was right after I brought Missy home from Haiti. Yeah. And I was asked to be part of, uh, they were doing a, it was a little video on motherhood. Okay. And it was with Beth Moore and Priscilla Shire and myself. And I got so tickled. You know, I was like, one of these things is not like the other ones. First of all, Beth and Priscilla are so lovely and so wise, but also both had been mothers for decades. Yeah. Very good mothers. I'd been a mother for like two months when they asked me to come to this. And and I was tickled, but I also thought, I've got to be real honest here and say, you know, everything I know about mothering, you put in a thimble. <laughs> but during that process and, and during that day of filming, I love Beth, I love Priscilla, and I asked both of them, you know, y'all, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an older woman, but I'm a new mom. Mm-hmm. And so I'd love for you to just distill some parenting wisdom and just mm-hmm. please encourage me of just a couple of things I could apply right away as, as Missy's second mom. And Priscilla said something really lovely about, you know, making sure that your children know that you're a parent, not a best friend, Mm, that you have to maintain that role. It's very lovely. She said it much better than that. And Beth paused, and you know, Beth is brilliant, so I expected her to say something in Hebrew. But she (laughs) said, you know, she's got that Texas accent, and she said, Lisa, just try to say yes more than you say no. Mm. And do you think, okay. Okay. That seems pretty simple. I was a new mom. Well, mm. I bet you it was two days after mm. that. I was back in Nashville. Missy was on the other side of the kitchen from me. So there was mm. an island between us. And she was itty-bitty. You remember how oh, tiny she was when tiny. I brought her home from Haiti? She's four years old, but really tiny. And she'd open the refrigerator, and she was reaching up for a jug of orange juice. It was a gallon mm. of orange heavy. juice. and the, Too yeah. heavy. There's no way this tiny little peanut could lift this orange juice from a top shelf. And my gut response was to go, no, 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 baby. Because, of course, I'm thinking she's going to drop it. It's going to spill all over the kitchen. It's going to be a huge mess. And I started to say no, but her back was to me. So she didn't see Mm. my response. And I stopped myself because in that moment, I remembered Beth saying, Mm. just try to say yes more than you say no. And I can remember this like it was yesterday. You know, it's been eight and a half years. I remember Missy grabbing that orange juice jug with both hands Lifted up. I mean, the whole thing almost knocked her over. I can see it. She teetered. It pulled her almost into a full circle. Well, the weight of it kind of turned her around, but she was somehow able to kind of land that jug on Mm. the island. And at the exact moment she landed that heavy jug of orange juice and didn't spill it, she looked up because she's facing me. And she, her face, her tiny toddler mm. face split into this huge grin like, look, look mom, I did, I did yeah. it. And I was like, yes. yes. I was able to cheer for mm-hmm. her. Lisa, I love that picture of the largesse of God, that yeah. we have a wide, safe place right. in which to grow and play. Right. Love it. Right. That the boundaries he gives us are because he's for us, yes. not against yes. us. 
as you said, and I love to say, they're not punitive. They're promissory. I went out to our garden yesterday, and it's, you know, because it's been so hot and muggy here, it is like— Goodness gracious, like it is on turbo it's speed. It's a jungle up in there. It is yeah. a jungle. I've got yeah. more tomatoes. I'm leaving yeah. them in bags on, on unsuspecting unsus- yes. neighbors' yes. porches. But my watermelon are going crazy. Mm-hmm. And I left the whole last third of my garden open so the watermelon could run. Because they the runners. They grow on runners on, yeah. on these vines that yeah. need a lot of room. And so I gave them a lot of room because I love watermelon, but I also have a lot of raccoons yes. at our property and they like watermelon too. Yes. So they've got a lot of room to run, but there's also a fence. Yes. And that fence is there at least to protect the fruit. Absolutely. As Absolutely. it is in our own lives, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. I think the takeaway, y'all, from this episode on the beautiful fruit that we actually can harvest from biblical boundaries, from within biblical boundaries, I think the takeaway is for us to start looking for the fences that we've seen as negative that actually are promissory. Maybe you, you've sensed the Holy Spirit kind of pinch you or poke you recently because you're investing so much time in a relationship that's actually pulling you away from God instead of you moving you toward God. Maybe, as Allison said earlier, there are some things that are falling out of your mouth that are not words of blessing or hope or peace. Maybe you're you're recognizing, hmm, there's a real negative. There's a real glasses half empty tone in what I've been saying lately. Hmm, what's the posture of my heart? Because if we will check and see if we've stepped over a fence that God placed for our good, you'll recognize there's an absence of fruit. If you are not living your life within the pleasant boundary lines God has placed for us, there will be very little fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And so if your fruit is dinky, you have probably stepped over a boundary that God placed for your good. good. Allie, we've got a new guest, me and my prof, today who's going to talk about boundaries, about this specific passage And he was my very first seminary professor for my master's program, and he was really my first kind of spiritual dad. We had him on an episode a couple of weeks ago. Loved it. Scotty Smith is going to be dropping some wisdom bombs on boundaries. So stay tuned. This episode has a few more minutes, and it is going to be the exclamation point, the bow that wraps up this whole conversation about the symbiotic relationship between God's boundaries and our blessing. Well, hey, y'all, we have come to one of our very favorite segments here on Back Porch Theology. And I just want to say, we've got a favorite back with us, don't we, Lisa? That's right. That's and that's right. Pastor Scotty Smith, who's going to yeah. bring the truth bombs. Pastor and professor, my very yes. first seminary professor. Absolutely. Actually, Scotty is the reason that I, I first went to seminary and got my mm-hmm. master's from Covenant Theological And you said seminary. he's one of the reasons you're still in ministry to this day. He Isn't is. That so? He oh. Are you just trying to make I'm me trying. cry? I'm <laughs> trying. It's at the um, end of a long yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. Scotty yeah. is God used Scotty to teach me what it, it was to begin to believe that I was the object of his affection, mm-hmm. um, which is the title of one of my favorite books she wrote, Scotty. But because of the joy yeah. I saw in Scotty in the midst of being, boy, just really carrying a heavy load in ministry, it was his joy and his 
intimacy with Jesus that made me go, this is true. This yeah. this is true. So yeah, I would say, I, I would absolutely say if I had to trace why I'm still in vocational ministry, it would go back to one person and that would be Pastor Scotty Smith. I always say you're not old enough to be my dad. Scotty's okay. only 14 years older than me. So unless he started really, really young, young. Yeah. he couldn't young be dad. my <laughs> spiritual father, but he he is definitely the the spiritual prophet and pastor mm-hmm. and sage mm-hmm. that I've followed since I was a kid, since I was 21 yeah. years old. Probably the deepest marks on my heart made by a man mm-hmm. have been made by Scotty Smith wow. toward Jesus. But Scotty, Allie and I have spent this episode talking about that story that's so colorful in the Old Testament where they find the Bible. They had lost the Bible. <laughs> yeah. And they, they find the Bible during Josiah's reign. And as a result of reading God's Word, he tears down these idols. We've talked about how colorful that is. Uh-huh. We told people not to let their kids listen. This is more HBO than Hallmark Absolutely. Channel. But as we were talking, preparing for this episode we've had on the danger of idolatry, I read something in one of your books. You wrote this almost 20 years ago, The Reign of Grace. And it was so profound. I'd love for you, in light of that story in Kings about tearing down the high places. I'd like for you to apply, I mean, I'd like for you to talk about that, but using this, this, I thought, boy, this is such a great overarching truth. You wrote, the Holy Spirit applies relentless and unyielding antagonism against our (laughs) sinful nature so that the beauty and likeness of Jesus will be created within us. The Spirit's fruit, y'all listen to this, listen to this. The Spirit's fruit is evidence of the advancement of the reign of grace in our heart, but it is also a means by which we are further equipped to wage war against idolatry. You think of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, (laughs) gentleness, and self-control as almost being soft gifts. But according to what God's shown you, those are actually gifts that help us wage war against that which would pull us away from God and His purposes. Yeah, and the the waging of that redemptive war, of course, becomes a a hallmark of how we even think about spiritual formation. I'm not as free as Jesus intends, and here's the entanglement, but also becomes a mark of of good friendship. We're fighting for each other's joy right. by redemptively showing up and saying, I'm not going to let that thing consume you. So, but backing up a little bit, it's interesting, the whole Josiah narrative. I mean, first of all, God always loves to use weak things, right? So right. Josiah is official. He's eight he's years old. Yes. Yeah. He's eight when he's Itty legally yeah. king. He doesn't get all the responsibilities, but the Lord's saying, look, this, this one's on me, right. so I'm going right. to provide but of course, as you've well said, you know, part of the Josiah story is Torah is found. And then, oh my gosh, you know, where's the Bible been? Right. Uh, right. Well, okay. Ben can't explore all that altogether, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but because we can, we can have it and lose it. We know that we can yeah. physically have yeah. it, but they physically mm-hmm. lost it. But one of the first things indeed was, as always is the case in renewal and restoration, it's going to be centering on the issue mm-hmm. of worship. And not external form, mm-hmm. but who or what has gained more, who, who's gained the allegiance, the affection, the adoration of my heart more so than God himself. Right. Mm. So it's going to always start there. So throughout Scripture, the battle against idolatry is a battle to win the heart. It's not an embarrassed God that's put off because we gave the Canaanite deities more love than Him. Right. There's nothing insecure about our God. There's only good in our that's God right. and alone that's worthy. Right. 
So, and this is so cool, which is uh, in, in the Josiah narrative. So the um, redemptive discontent, the, uh, right. you know, grace aggression, kind of the unique mixing of metaphors. Oh, I love mm. grace it, aggression. It, it's Whoa. really yeah. all about, I mean, just think about all of that in the framework of Jesus saying in Luke 4, I've come to set the captives mm. free. Right. Mm. So it's the true, good, beautiful one that rescues mm. us from that which will never satisfy, mm-hmm. right? right? But here's how we did it during the revival in Josiah's day. A lot of people don't know that the prophet Zephaniah was one of the prophets that preached over 30 years leading up to the reform under Josiah and ding, 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 ding. It's objects of his affection, that great verse in Zephaniah 3.17. Which is the only happy verse in the whole process. Which is phenomenal. You start reading Zephaniah, you think, I'm not going to read that. that It's a tough book. Because because of Zephaniah, seeing the scene here, to the nations and my people, Mm -hmm. you're running after things that are not God. You've exchanged my glory for idols. And so here's how Mm -hmm. I'm going to meet you. I'm going to take away your punishment. I will mm. be towards you the God that greatly delights in you, that quiets mm. you with my love, that mm-hmm. rejoices over you singing. Mm-hmm. Now, the point of all that is this. That's not God having multiple personality disorder. Right. It's saying the whole issue of idolatry is what is most compelling in my heart and right. life. Yeah. Right. Where right. have I mm. run to, where have I made a broken cistern mm. doesn't even hold water? I turned yeah. away from the fountain of life. Yeah, that's right. You so know, uh, I, I would say in that, uh, you know, this picture of war on idolatry is really a, a war for my freedom. And mm. and whether it's corporately, whether wow. it's yeah. different times in history, uh, groups of the people of God have gotten into the idolatry of we're right, you're wrong, right. or confusing their faith with their nation. There's so right. many ways right. we, the people of God, can appropriately sing, prone to wander, mm-hmm. Lord, I feel it, prone mm-hmm. to lead the God of love. Mm-hmm. So part of revival and reform is going to always be an issue of the heart, individually and corporately. In Zephaniah's day, what indeed uh, Israel was called to be, a light to the nations that became a blight to the community mm-hmm. because it became far more like everybody around them. Right. And yeah. see, the sad thing about idolatry in Israel is it served two purposes. Number one, we're not getting in as many crops and babies as yeah. they are. Right. Let's don't reject Yahweh. Let's just right. add on here yeah. a little, exactly. little fraternity exactly. gods. And, yep. you know, it's, yep. it's all good. Yep. We're tied yeah. to yeah. Yahweh. Yeah. Yeah. Or we're afraid God might not protect us. Yeah. So fear, we're going to make an alliance with this yeah. and we'll sing Kumbaya to their God. And it's just like, you see the crazy yeah. making of a people yeah. that yes. will not little trust this, that their God will be enough. Right. Yep. Yep. And that happens in every generation. Mm-hmm. It's part of our oh, own story. Work. In my life. Well, sure. it's again, it's sure. a part of our own. See, I in time realized through good counseling and through my mm. burnout that the two primary idols in my heart I set up that didn't look like a jade Buddha mm. or an Asherah pole were control and a mm. pain-free heart. Mm-hmm. I, and they, yeah. you, they don't exactly look like incense and candles and you know crazy dances, but I needed to see how my commitment not to allow my heart to experience any more pain, mm-hmm. it took over more functional control than yeah. the gospel itself. Yeah. But only the gospel could deconstruct yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. And it really was a deconstruction. And I mean, the whole story of Jonah is a parallel in an individual way. 
Jonah starts running. So how does the father start? Let's just put a few waves on the ocean here. Uh, Or let's have pagan sea captains say, who are you? Where are you from? Who's your God? Here's some underhand pitches, Jonah. You really don't have to become well vomit. But if you know what? You need to be well vomit. It'll be severe mercy. But it's God waging war for the hearts of his people. He just grieves the fact that we would give ourselves to stuff. It's all mercy. It's all that severe mercy. Mm. uh, Mm. Man, I grieve. And in this one, don't you just want to? No, I it's want like, to keep I want to going. follow him home. I know, I know. Um, uh, that would probably be yeah. cause for uh, alarm. Or Darlene would yeah. fix y'all yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you kidding? No. I love your <laughs> wife. I would come home to your home <laughs> to talk with her. I want, we'll put a pen in it here. Yeah. But this is just a pause because something you just said, I thought, man, we've got to have you come back mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. explore that deeper Deconstruction has become a four-letter word mm-hmm. in modern Christianity. It's our word that's been taken from us. It's say, actually got a great history in Scripture. is so healthy oh, yes. when you do it under the compulsion yes. of the Holy Spirit because yeah. there are still idols he has to take down. Yeah. And in those that are closest to him, we just, what does Calvin say? We're all idol factories. Absolutely. Uh, left glorious our own devices. Ruins. Exactly. Yeah. Will you pray for the people listening in today, oh, Scotty, absolutely. who maybe even something you just said because you said it so much more clearly than I could. Mm-hmm. They realize, uh-oh, I hadn't thought I was an idolater, but there are places that my heart has aligned Absolutely. other than Jesus, mm. because I too have made an idol of having mm. a pain-free life. Mm. And um, would you pray for them mm-hmm. that God would give them the grace mm-hmm. to, to have personal revival? Oh. Absolutely. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for my sisters, my friends, my colleagues, and gospel sanity. We pray for our own hearts and for those that would join us, Lord, uh, through this recorded conversation, that you would help us to see, first of all, Jesus, Mm. that you are so Mm -hmm. beautiful that really to see more of you, we will run to you, not from you, that you are our righteousness. You're not our second chance. You've already married yourself to us. And a feast is in front of us, and you are you are more excited about it than we. Mm -hmm. Help us to see the foolishness of idolatry, of of trusting in anything, of giving our allegiance, Mm -hmm. our attention, our affection, our adoration to lesser things, even good things we make Mm -hmm. ultimate, or things that we know will only rob us of Lord physical health, emotional stability. Lord Mm -hmm. Jesus, thank you that you wage a holy war of love for our own hearts and that one day we will be completely free. Oh, that we would more fully, freely cooperate now with the redemptive deconstruction, the tearing down of high places, low places, crazy places, because you have come to set us free. You have come to announce the eternal day, year of the Lord's favor. You have come to break oppressions, Mm -hmm. which idolatry alone creates, oppression of all kinds. So thank you, Lord. Free us. Let us always know Mm -hmm. there's always more of your grace, more of your mercy. We believe, help our unbelief, we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm so glad, so grateful that you chose to hang out on the porch with us today. And I hope you learned something. But knowledge about God pales next to intimacy with Jesus. So I hope you spend a whole lot more time lingering in His presence, leaning into His embrace, and listening to the lyrics of delight God promises to sing over us in Zephaniah than you do listening to podcasts. That being said, I'll be so tickled if you choose to join us again next week for Back Porch Theology.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. Do you have questions about Noah's Flood? If so, you don't want to miss The Ark in the Darkness in theaters near you on March 20th and 21st. If you're interested in delving deeper into the mysteries and questions surrounding Noah's Flood, The Ark in the Darkness will provide thought-provoking insights from a team of scientists with answers from Answers in Genesis and Liberty University. The Ark in the Darkness reveals the truth about Noah's Flood. The incredible film hits theaters on March 20th and 21st. Buy tickets now at noahsflood.com. That's noahsflood.com.